Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Romantic suspense writer Bryn Kelly's High Octane Legionnaire series features broken brothers in arms who meet the right woman at the worst possible time. Sounds irresistible, doesn't it? And readers find it so. The series has reaped high praise. Hi there. I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Bryn talks about her hot series, the importance of not quitting, and why she thinks she's got the ideal life. But before we talk to Bryn, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Bryn's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Bryn. Hello there, Bryn, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's it's lovely to be joining you on this nice spring morning. It is, and um, this time, you know, most of my writers are way, way, way across the world, but this time we are actually almost neighbours, so that's lovely. You're a little bit further north of m- than me in New Zealand, so we do share the same spring day. That's lovely. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't happen very often, yeah. No. It's funny how, how often, um, you know, I deal with a lot of people in the US and how often they wish me a, a happy fall or a happy winter, and yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, actually, I'm sitting here in whatever sunshine. Yeah, that's right. Look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction? And if there was a catalyst for it, what was it? Um, For me, I I don't think I could pinpoint a particular time. It was just something that I had always known. I was one of these kids who read voraciously and, um, and, Loved words, loved reading, loved anything at at school to do with um, reading and writing. And I always knew that I was going to be a writer and a journalist. Um, It's interesting, uh, I I have an 11-year-old son, and a couple of years ago, I was reading a book to my boys. Uh, It was very um, action-heavy. And and my son put his hand on his chest, and he said to me, Mum, my heart's beating really quickly. This is so weird. It feels this is stuff that's happening to this boy in this book, but it feels like it's happening to me. And it was just this beautiful moment because that's, that's exactly what, what reading feels like to me. And I think it was exactly why when I was a child, reading was everything because I, I had that empathy and that sensitivity that, that uh, I could really relate. And I think that when he said that, something clicked in me. I was like, that's what the magic is. That's why I've always been on this journey. So I became um, a journalist, um, basically, so I could get paid to write. Yay. Um, but with always the idea that I would uh, do fiction writing on the side. Unfortunately, my journalism career became all-encompassing, and I wasn't writing enough. 
So I guess the, the catalyst for me came when I was in my early 30s and I thought, you know, what am I doing to actually achieve this this goal I had already set, always set for myself? I'd always sort of been playing around with bits and pieces of writing, but I'd never finished anything um, and and it was only ever tinkering. So I actually sat down. Oh, I, I, I took a job um, sub-editing a magazine, which was a little bit less intense uh, and more, with more regular hours. So I was able to to claw out some time to to write a novel, um, and I wrote it, sent it off, thinking this is it. I'm going to start my fabulous novel writing career, and it was rejected. <laughs> of course, as first novels always should be. Um, and so from there, it was actually yeah, it was it was a sort of a long stop start process of of um, figuring out how to switch from journalism to fiction writing. Uh, yeah, and which I finally did at the age of 40. It is quite a big switch, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, your story structures may be the same in some respects if you're doing creative nonfiction, uh, switching to fiction. But that creative process must come from a whole different part of your brain. You know, going from a set of facts that have already been established, you know, you're not telling your story, you're telling somebody else's story, to moving to a set of facts that have to come from somewhere in your brain. And I think I often struggle with that. And sometimes I forget that I'm allowed to make things up. Yeah. Uh, when, and um, Edge of Truth, my second book, is set, uh, um, a lot of it is set in... Actually, it's all set in Ethiopia, which is a place I, I did some volunteer work in years ago. And um, I was – there's this little uh, uh, village that or town that I set a lot of it in. It's this ancient walled city. It's a very evocative place. And I spent so much time trying to figure out – where all the uh, gates were around this this walled city, and to get all of the um, logistics correct, and it, then I realised, you know, from Google Maps and from blogs and from my own memories and my own photos, and um, I realised that you know actually I could probably make some of this up. <laughs> you know, the 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 overlap between my readers and people who know this little city very well would be very small. <laughs> that is so right, yeah. Do you find that? It's because you've had a... Oh, I do, I do. And and I love, ha I love knowing that I have bits that are really true. I mean, it's important to me to, um, to know that even if something's unlikely, that it could happen, that I, I'm not really into fantasy in the sense that I like to feel... If I was challenged, I could argue convincingly that it could have happened, even if it was yes. very unlikely. <laughs> yes, and and there's also um, you know that that sort of tenet that uh, um, nonfiction can be as wild and crazy as you want it to be, but fiction has to be believable. Yeah, that's right. And I think probably the other difference with journalism is that you have to get inside your people's heads and and show what motivates them. And, of course, in journalism, you, that would be very presumptuous to, unless you were doing a real in-depth piece and they knew that that was what you were on about, you wouldn't assume that you could um, just decide what had motivated somebody to do something unless you actually asked them. 
Exactly, yeah. But it's interesting going back to writing nonfiction after having writing, uh, written fiction. I do tend to ask those questions a bit more and, and try to get more into people's heads. Um, obviously, it's something you have to do very, very carefully as, because, as you say, um, you can't make those presumptions. But but it is it has been quite rewarding for my nonfiction and journalism to be able to do that, to, to yeah. use those fiction techniques. Yeah, that's interesting. So why did you choose romantic suspense as your genre? Was that first book a romantic suspense one? It was actually. Um, but, I mean, obviously I had been writing for a long time before that, as I say, just sort of, you know, here and there playing with words for years. Um, and I think actually I didn't choose romantic suspense. It chose me. <laughs> um I found when I was doing journalism, and I have also written quite a few nonfiction books um, that are the, in the creative nonfiction category mostly, uh, that I really loved writing action driven um, um, prose or um, action driven pieces. Uh, and what I think drew me to romantic suspense was that you get that lovely mix of uh, of action and thriller um, and that uh, uh, external story as well as very, very deep emotions. And I think, bec- you know, with a romantic suspense, you can go bigger on the, on the stakes and the action and then balance that out by really digging deep on the emotions there are so many places you can go and I, I think I really love that those extremes and that really attracted me and called to me it, it, it also yeah it, it does produce challenges when you're writing because um you there's so much research to do and there's so much depth so many depths to dig but it's also very satisfying yes your Legionnaires series, which is the one that we're kind of focusing on, is a high-octane series that follows a band of what you call broken brothers in arms who each meet the right woman at the worst possible time. And so what are some of the biggest challenges in writing a series like that? Um, drawing on what I was just saying, I guess, it's I, for me it was that finding that balance between the suspense and the emotion – it's very easy in a story like that to let the external plot carry it away um, and lose the internal plot, lose that conflict, um, lose the the romantic drivers as well. And um, yeah, and it's quite hard because you can you can write a, a very action packed, fast paced piece and then slow it down. Um, with a bit of romance, but you've got to make sure you keep it moving, no matter if you're slowing it down or speeding it up. And one difficult thing is that I I can tell from my reviews that I I do get a few straight thriller readers, or quite a few straight thriller readers, who get frustrated at the romance, (laughs) um, slowing things down. And then you get the romance readers who say, I don't usually read romantic suspense and I enjoyed this, but it had too much action for me or there was, you know, there wasn't enough romance. So it's, it's such a tricky balance to try to, um, to try to satisfy uh, 
both uh, demands of the genre to to have this action-packed, fast-paced, exciting story, but also to have an authentic romantic relationship, especially because my books, um, it, it's not necessarily a conscious choice, but these books all take place within a few days, um, or each book takes place within a few days. And it's very hard to write a uh, an authentic love story when people have met sometimes three days ago. Um, one of the stories they had met a while ago. Yeah, so I think um, all of that balancing is the most uh, most challenging thing. I guess, you know, the old scientific fact that when people meet under high adrenaline circumstances, they tend to bond very quickly. That That has to be your excuse for how quickly they manage Yeah, to yeah, yes. I certainly <laughs> draw on that, definitely. And I've also, um, certainly as the series has progressed, I've, I've gone away from giving them a, um, a, um, a very, you know, a strong happily ever after to, to, to go to a happily for now. So yeah. you write it to a point there where um, the reader... Um, is confident that this is going to work. Yeah, they can decide that they're at least in a situation where they will decide for themselves in the future what they want to happen sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's funny It's funny when you talk about romance, isn't it? Because um, in any other genre, that would be a massive plot spoiler. But romance, you know, it's about the how they get there, not what happens in the end. Yeah. Um, the doy, one of the doyens of New Zealand romance writing, Daphne Dion, once said to me that romantic suspense is one of the hardest genres to pull off because of all those things that you're talking about. A lot of romance writers aren't so good at doing the um, action, but you really hit the ground running with your stories. You know, I, I'm, you mentioned Edge of Truth. That is one where you kind of go in with a blast and, and halfway through the book, you're still in this amazing sequence. It's... Um, it's it's remarkable. But I noticed that in number three, Forbidden River, which I think is a novella, you bring your French legionnaire back to New Zealand and give him a Maori love interest. How did, did you feel that you were expanding the conventions of the genre to do that? And how did your readers react to that one? Sure. Um, it never occurred to me that I was expanding anything. The thing is, <laughs> all of my books are set uh, in, in parts of the world that I have loved that have really had an emotional connection with me when I've been there. So the first one is Southeast Asia, the second one, Ethiopia, um, Forbidden River in on the west coast of New Zealand, and um, uh, A Risk Worth Taking is set in Europe and the UK. Uh, so, yeah, it seems natural for me to come home, um, and that was an, it's an exper experimental um, story for me because even after a lifetime of writing uh, short uh, journalism, I struggle to write short fiction. And so this, my, most of my books are uh, 100,000 words or more. This one, my, my, my goal was to write it at about 20 to 25 and just, just get, set myself a challenge of, you know, could I write it in that time, uh, in, in that word count? And it ended up being, I think, just short of 40,000. Anyway, but, but going back to what you were asking, um, yeah, I've had really, really good feedback. I think the um, my American readers, which are my core readers, have really uh, um, responded well to the setting. Um, they've 
and, and what's lovely, what what means so much to me is that um, my uh, Maori friends and my Maori beta readers have absolutely loved having such a strong wahine um, in a book, especially in I guess this kind of book, which is which is um, uh, more of a global, you know, ha- has a global reach. It's it's not it's not an I didn't write it as a New Zealand book for a New Zealand market. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that was very, very special to me to get that feedback. Yeah. That is great. And did you always intend The Legionnaires to be a series? No. Uh, interestingly, it was, it's interesting because the the first book I wrote, which I mentioned, um, which got rejected, uh, followed, and then I wrote a second, which was more of a contemporary romance, which also it failed at the last hurdle. I might resurrect these at some point. Um, but I had intended those to be series. But I had um, what kind the mm, – so I after having uh, failed to kind of quite get there with trad publishers with those stories, I took a step back and I thought, you know, I'm going to stop writing what I think – the editors want to publish and what I think readers want to read. I'm just going to go mad. I'm just going to write, I'm going to write big. I'm going to write epic. Um, And so I started playing around with this, uh, with Deception Island, which is the first book in the Legionnaires series. I also started playing around with a whole different concept just to sort of throw some bigger ideas out there uh, and see if that would get more of a take up. Just, Just take away those boxes and 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 go big. Um, so I only ever saw to the end of that first book. Um, and interestingly, that's when the editors and agents started to uh, sit up and take notice. So that was yeah. a real lesson for me, you know, uh, yeah. moving away from what I thought was going to sell to actually what I could really sink my teeth into and enjoy writing. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And you've had some terrific endorsements from high-profile names, you know, on the back of your books. You've got Gina Showalter, um, Sharon Sala, Heather Graham, Jace, uh, J- um, Karen Robards, wonderful writers who are endorsing your work. Did, did that give you a little bit of a, a sort of endorphin rush? Yeah, there might even have been a few tears occasionally. You know, when <laughs> I wasn't um, – I'm very fortunate that, that – um, Having you know, living down here, I don't have those kinds of contacts as yeah. say my writer friends who work in the US, and, and these people might be in their in their writing groups. Um, so I was very fortunate that my uh, publishers and my agent were able to make those connections. But that's and that's one thing I'm constantly blown away in the romance writing community is how supportive it is and how. There's none of this professional jealousy. Well, not not that I have encountered. Everyone is so encouraging. And I think, you know, these um, big-name authors who, who are so generous in giving endorsements, someone gave them an endorsement once, you know. They're, um, they're, they're um, paying it forward. And yeah. so, yeah. and so it, you know, so people that they endorse pay it forward and it's just this really really lovely encouraging industry where I think people realize that you're not by by lifting up another author you're not damaging your chances you're hopefully growing 
the whole industry and and pulling in more readers across your your genre or subgenre. Yeah, which benefits yeah. everyone. Yeah, that's right. Now, perhaps turning from specific books to a wider look at your career, you've mentioned that you have been in journalism. I know you've won awards with your journalistic writing, but what is the one thing you've done more than any other that you feel may have been the secret to your success? Not giving up, sticking with it. Even, and I'm sure that's the same of, of many published writers, is, um, oh, there's a famous quote saying that, uh, uh, um, something like you might know it. Um, the only guarantee that you will fail as a writer is if you quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that very well. I'm, I can't remember who's. You know, you know. The, it's only failure if you stop trying to stri- stop trying or something. Well, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. only one yeah. that will guarantee you will fail. And that's if you quit, and and of course, and there were many times that that I wanted to quit. When I first, when I got that first rejection, I was absolutely devastated because, of course, this was not my plan. My plan <laughs> was that this was going to launch me on a whole new career, and and it was going to be beautiful. Um, um, although, in fact, it's probably quite, quite good that it didn't happen because I'm not a fast writer, and that those early books were. Uh, category series romance and you have to write those very very quickly I think to to keep the momentum going mm, that's, that's right that but that's an aside but um yeah I did there were times where I put it aside for a few years but it would nag at me you know I I it was unfinished business and I would always go back to it and um you know, there were there are always times and I've had a bit of a year this year where I've where I've had to kind of dig in and 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 try a few different things and I, I think yeah I always think of that that saying that I can't remember off the top of my head I should put it <laughs> my study really um that yeah um if you give up then you then you're definitely not going to succeed yeah that's right look there's an intriguing mention in your author profile of your interest in classical singing and theatre I wondered if you could just tell us a little, little bit about that where did it come from and is it likely to surface in a future series? <laughs> nah. um, yeah, I've, it's just something I've always loved doing. I actually just, um, we closed a production of The Crucible on Saturday, uh, which was just fabulous, just being immersed in Arthur Miller for, for a few months. Um, but I think it, it, it all comes back to that love of storytelling and that love of emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, something that theatre uh, and singing is something that I, I did a lot of as a child and in my teens and early 20s. And then I I had a confidence crisis when I was in my early 20s and was convinced I sucked and gave it all up. And then I got to the age of 40, just at the same time I was getting some traction with my writing, with my fiction writing, and I thought, you know, that's unfinished business, and I went back into it. So I've, I've only been back into it for a few years, but I'm absolutely loving it. And I think... It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it what it brings me. I think it it's um, it unlocks something in the creative brain, and it all dovetails very very neatly into my writing because because of course acting is all about motivation and writing is all about motivation, and 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 it's all about language of course and communication, and it's even it helps me when you're on stage. Sometimes you don't know what to do with your hands. 
especially yeah. if you're reacting to something. So, so I'm often thinking, what would my character do? Would my character um, um, uh, fiddle with her scarf? Would my character rub her hands down her legs? You know, and then I can sort of take those into my writing and and hopefully might make my writing more authentic. Um, so they 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 fit together so nicely, and the singing is is another interesting one because of course singing is all about storytelling. It's all about emotion. Um, but what I find is that you get the uh, the sense of rhythm and flow from from music that you can bring into writing. And sometimes I, if I'm looking at a sentence and it feels clunky to me, I can sort of think, you know, read a read it aloud and and. F- figure out what's wrong with that rhythm, what's wrong with that flow and, and smooth it out. And I think that that's music helping there. Mm. But yeah, basically I just live in this dream world where I, where I write fiction by day and, and act it out by night. And yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to live in the real world at all. You've set it up beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's sometimes said that writers tend to write the same story in different guises. And I know we've joked about your tagline of, um, meeting the right woman in the worst possible mm. circumstances. But digging a little deeper, do you agree with that idea? And if so, what is that story for you? Is it a redemption story or? Yep, you've nailed it, redemption. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, um, yeah um, that's exactly what it is. Um, it, but, yeah, I'm really fascinated by that idea. But I've I've, I've read it up a bit, you know, the core story. Um but it's something I think you can only figure out in hindsight. I don't think I would have been able to come up with that after two books. It's only after four that I can look back and you can see the common themes and what you go back to. But I don't know whether that's going to be that's going to come into my next books, or or that will change. So I think I, I think it was Courtney Milan is is quite who's one of my favourite authors um, is quite. Um, big on core story and I she I'm sure I read something where she said you can only figure this out after six books or ten books or you know quite a lot of books you can figure out that thread so I'm, I'm not yeah definitely through the Legionnaires series it's redemption um uh I'm not sure if that will always be my core story but it will be very a very interesting evolution and of course with you know yeah evolution it's something that you you don't know you're evolving at the time do you it's only when you're back (laughs) (laughs) look turning to Brenner's reader we I called this series the joys of binge reading because it was partly sparked by the idea of the risen popularity of series and the fact that people, when they find an author they like, like mm. to read a lot of them fairly quickly these days. It's probably the Netflix um, in- influence. But you obviously have been a binge reader in the past. Who do you like to binge read now and who have you binge read in the past? You, you know, it's, that's interesting because um, I was thinking about that and I was thinking that actually I don't binge read writers so much anymore I think it's because there are so many uh, romance writers out there I, I try to read as widely as possible I try to read as many as possible yes. especially within my own su- subgenre but I don't tend to read all of the books by that person I this, you know there, there's always something new and interesting so I'm kind of I'm looking at the shiny baubles uh, but the the one romantic suspense author I would read, or actually she's not writing romantic suspense anymore, but anyway, one author that I would read everything of is Jill Sorensen, who who um, 
used to write romantic suspense and and then went into writing um, really sexy motorbike um, um, gang. I'm not gang, you know, um, uh, um, contemporaries. Uh, and she's just got a wonderful writing style. I don't think she's been writing much lately. But mostly when I binge read, I binge read outside of my subgenre because I can I can switch off. And yeah. I like binge reading historical. Courtney Milan, who I mentioned earlier, is probably my my biggest go-to. She's just such a talented writer and her characters are so real and her um, uh, her, her prose is beautiful and uh, it'll – uh, her historical um, settings seem very re- vivid as well. Outside of uh, romance, Kate Atkinson is my go-to author. Although I, ha- I haven't loved everything she's written, but I have admired how she um, is not afraid to try new things. Mm-hmm. You know, she's yeah. she's written and I, I loved her her um, literary detective stories, I think they were branded as, um, which were quite funny and quirky. Uh, but I loved her early books, Behind the Scenes at the Museum, was was like a game-breaker for me. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't so much like Life After Life. But, yeah, she's she's certainly um, an author that I would go to again and again. But I don't, I don't think that's technically binge reading because she's not prolific enough for that. So yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I don't binge read as much these days as I as I might have in the past. I've noticed a funny thing that I now I mean, I really enjoy my reading still, but I understand what you're saying. I feel as if I very rarely get a chance just to read for my pleasure. Yes, if absolutely. I've got another motivation as well. Even if I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, it's not quite the same feeling as sinking into a hot bath. You've you you're kind of on alert for, for things. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. I think it's that you know the the left brain and the right brain thing, which one mm. controls you. You know, you you both of them are still working when you're a writer because you're always stopping and going, oh, I like how she did that. Yeah. You know, or oh, I would have preferred a bit more motivation in this scene, or you know, it's it's really hard to switch off. Which is why I think I like writing uh, reading historical because I know that I would never write it because. Um, I am such a slow researcher. I would be researching every word. (laughs) (laughs) Look, we're sort of running out of time here. So circling around to the, looking back over where you've come from, at this stage in your career, if you were setting up all over again as a writer, is there anything that you would change about how you've gone about it? No, you know, I I don't think like that. Um, It's... I think life is not a linear thing where where you can you know change one thing and and and, and keep on going down that same line. I think if you know we all might have made mistakes in the past or things might have gone in different directions, but but there are so many wonderful things about now that might not have happened if we if we went back and fixed that problem. You know, so I I really don't think like that, and like I just it's I can't think like that. I I know there are things that I wish had gone a different way or you know, sometimes I, I think, oh, I should have just started writing more fiction earlier. But that wasn't to be. And if I had started, say, writing more fiction when I was in my 20s, I might not have had the experiences that have have made me the writer I am now. Yeah. I might, it might be, I just might be a different writer. It could, might not be any better or worse. But, um, yeah, I, I don't tend to look back with regrets because I think, 
um, we just don't know what the sliding doors would have would have given us through life, um, and and it's more about making the most of now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, what is next for Bryn, the writer? What is happening now? Projects under development? Yes, it's a very much a watch this space. Um, kind of um, 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 situation at the moment. Actually, yeah, to answer your question earlier, um, would is the is the theatre work going to have a um, uh, going to pop up in my writing? That's one of the watch the spaces. <laughs> I'm just waiting to hear back on something that I've got my fingers very tightly crossed for. Um, but yeah, I'm actually um, going through a process of reinvention. The Legionnaire Stories uh, series is finished and I'm taking this opportunity to to sort of test out some new things and to try and figure out whether I still want to keep writing along those lines or or tweak it slightly or even just go into a whole genre. I feel like I've I've kind of done my, my master's in creative writing now and it's time to figure out what I want to do with my life. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as I say, very much a watch this space thing and I've got nothing that I can promise is coming out in the next few months, but I'm working on many things. So just give us a little hint, a few hints on the theatre thing. Is is it like you've pitched a new series or is it something yes. quite different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's actually in front of some editors at the moment, um, which, yeah, would be huge, but we shall see. Oh, yeah. great. But, but, but then it, it might come to nothing, you know. <laughs> yeah, as these things occasionally don't. But <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've got to be prepared for, you know, anything. But I'm also interested in exploring indie publishing as well, um, either uh, doing both trade and indie or um, going full indie. But yeah. we'll see. So many possibilities. Great. Look, we are now coming to an end, but that's a fascinating end. And for people who want to keep in touch with you and follow what happens with that, where can they find you online? Uh, uh, Facebook. I've, I have an author page. If you search Bryn Kelly Author, um, you can follow me there. Uh, I have also have a website, uh, Bryn Kelly. That's Bryn with two N's, brynkelly.com. And I'm on Twitter as Bryn Writes. Uh, so B-R-Y-N-N-W-R-I-T-E-S. And do, are you fairly active on social media? Um, Twitter's my, my, my go-to. Um, yeah, uh, though it's, uh, yeah, it sucks a lot of time. Some, you know, it's like, you know, writing is, um, is like 30% writing and 70% Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm mostly active on Twitter, um, with, but, but I always put, um, any news on Facebook oh, as well. Well, look, Bryn, thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you. I'm sure that your readers found it fascinating. Very thoughtful answers. I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jenny. Lovely to talk to you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at... D C 
audio services at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.